You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're watching. And um, pray that the Lord, the Spirit of God, will give us words to say that will have uh, some meaning and uh, some help and some edification as uh, we find ourselves in these kinds of times. I was, uh, last night as I was kind of retiring, I, I remember a song that I used to play at our house and used to be sung at church from time to time, and probably most of you know it. It was called, uh, In Times Like These, You Need a Savior. In Times Like These, You Need an Answer. Uh, make sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Um, so, uh, you know, I wonder what in the world I would be speaking on today as, I, as this Sunday came uh, uh, approaching. And, you know, last Sunday I was, I was not here and I just experienced, uh, you know, the, the death of my dad. And uh, grateful that Terry was able to, to, to stand and preach. And um, so then we all experienced the events of, uh, of the election and uh, post-election, the events of last Wednesday where our capital was uh, stormed by some who were not pleased by the, the outcome of the election. And, uh, and so we find ourselves in these kinds of times. And, you know, I, I, uh, I watched the news reports and, you know, the FBI put out reports that state capitals need to put out uh, extra reinforcement to guard their, their capitals. The states need to guard their capitals. And uh, you, if you've uh, been on Facebook or on the Internet at all, you know that there are all kinds of scenarios and, and um, reports and threats and, um, uh, uh, what's the word, um, conspiracies. You know, it's just, it's just a, a hotbed of, of, uh, of stuff that, that we find ourselves in. So I thought, well, you know, what, what can we say? What, what should we say at a time like this? So I just began to think, and, and I, mean, I really was praying, and it took me a while, and I struggled as to know what to say, and I did my best to listen and to hear. And so uh, I, I have what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart, and I hope in some way it will help you. Now, the, uh, the, uh, it's possible that some of the detail at the front of the message, uh, or just past the introduction, may seem laborious to you, and I don't want to bore you, but I think it's important that we have a a broader perspective of, of history and of life so that we don't live in a myopic kind of uh, a world or, or we just live life based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in in a particular moment in a particular time like today that uh, we have a historical view and we have an internal perspective that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to drive at this morning I think it will make a difference on how we live uh, now today uh, because today is what we have so here we go. Throughout history, the people of God, and not just the people of God, but people in general, have had to face uncertain and difficult times. Now, you can just completely dismiss that. But I hope that you won't. I hope that you'll listen, that you'll engage, and that you'll, you'll track with me throughout history from the very earliest of times through the present time. The people of God, yes, the people of God are not exempt from the difficult times. I don't, I, you know, I can't help what some prophet might say or some pastor or some teacher or some evangelist, some TV preacher or whatever. 
The people of God, all you have to do is open your eyes and look at history. The people of God experienced the worst of times as well as good times. But it comes upon all people. Difficult days, uncertain days, all people, in all times, in all places, in all lands. That is the condition of the human experience, and you need to understand that. Now, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm really not. I'm trying to give you a perspective uh, on life. It is not saying it forcefully enough how I just said it. Most of human history has been about human beings trying just to survive. And I don't mean that. I mean that in the full weight of what those words say. For most of history, if you have any history uh, uh, interests in you and you have read some, you know that much of human history has been about human beings just trying to survive the harshness of living on the planet. For most human beings... That has been the way that it is. Now we, as contemporary people, we've had it real well. In fact, we've probably had it better than most people who have ever lived on the planet throughout history. Whatever we have dealt with, whatever we have experienced, we have had the best of opportunities to experience those in. We've been very blessed. We've been very, very blessed by our forefathers who have planted for us a, a way of being and a way of living that very, 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 very few people who have ever existed on the planet have ever experienced. And we should be very grateful for that. And I hope that you are. In fact, our lamentation of the things that we experience in our current time, we may think that they are harsh, and for us, because we have had it so well, they do come across as harsh. But history might not judge it so harshly. History might not judge it so harshly when you consider what so many others have had to experience in life. So what I'm trying to do is give you a perspective. So don't get me wrong. I mean, these are certainly troubling times and they are uncertain times. We have no idea what this afternoon holds. When you turn on the news tomorrow, you have no idea what you might read. I just got a text this morning. A, a, a friend of our family was just this week diagnosed with cancer. Young guy, probably 30-something years old. You just don't know what a day is going to hold. Millions and, no, billions have suffered terrible times and uncertain times. This includes biblical history, which particularly deals with the Hebrew people as God has chosen them to make himself known in the earth. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 2, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And so much of the biblical history is about the Hebrew people as they have marched through history, encountering various people as the Messiah would come to that race of people, the Hebrews, the Jews. But, and so we're very familiar with that suffering in the church. We're not so, so familiar uh, with the suffering of the rest of the world. And we kind of like, it may just be out of our sight. We don't take it really into consideration. It's not in the fore of our thinking. And so we can have great lament over things that happen in our life, which we look at them historically, are really not that bad. I'm not in any way downplaying the significance of our own history. I'm just saying we would put it in to some kind of context. Most of, most, most of history, most of history, I'll say it again, most of history has been about 
people groups or nations or states subjugating, dominating, eradicating other groups of people. All of history, from the very beginning to this present day, that's pretty much what it's been about. And it works out like this. Whoever has the most power, whoever has the most power, tends to dominate, subjugate, or eradicate other people. That's just the way that it's been. And that's not a good story. It's not a good history. Not only that, the subjugation and the domination and the eradication of other people groups, wherever you look on the planet, whatever continent you happen to want to study, or whatever people group you want to look at, that's been the way that it has been. And much of it has been barbaric and horrific and very inhumane. And we would scratch our head at the inhumanity of humanity. It's been horrific. Power has been exercised coercively and in very inhumane ways. Power, I don't know who, I, I could have Googled this and you can Google this to find out, but you are familiar with this statement. Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. We don't do well with power. Human beings don't handle power very well. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, two of Jesus, I'm sorry, the mother of two of Jesus' disciples come to, came, came to Jesus, and she said, Jesus, my sons, I'm, now I'm going to adlib a little bit, my sons have followed you, and uh, we know that your kingdom is coming. We know that at some point you're going to sit on the throne. When you sat on your throne, could my two sons sit with you, one on the right and one on the left, of your throne? <laughs> and Jesus looked at her and he says, you, you, don't, you don't realize what you're saying. You ever say something and you just realize, wait a minute, I don't even really know what I'm talking about. Probably not, because we generally think we know what we're talking about. Now, probably too many times we don't know what we're talking about. I think that's why God gave us one mouth and two ears. Because we need to do a lot of listening. We can only know what we know. And our experience is very limited. Unless you're a serious student of life. And far too many are not. So Jesus says to her, you don't know what you're asking. See, she's thinking in terms of human experience. If my son sat on the right or the left, they're going to have power. They're going to have prestige. They're going to be at the pinnacle of power. I mean, who's going to be greater than Jesus? And I want my son on the right or the left. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord their power over whom they have power over. They use their power to dominate, to subjugate, and to eradicate other human beings. That's what you do with power. And their high officials exercise authority and the power over those who are under them. That's what you do. You exercise a power. But he says to, he calls them together, he says, now listen, this is how, this is how the Gentiles do this. But it is not going to be this way with you. Not so with you. That is not how you're going to exercise power. That is not how you're going to exercise influence. That is not how you're going to be in the world. Instead, whoever wants to become great in the kingdom of God must learn to be a servant. And you have to learn to do that because you've been born into sin. You will also want to dominate, subjugate, 
and eradicate if you can. So you have to learn to be a servant. And if you don't learn to be a servant, you will find that when you have any kind of power, you will use it to dominate and subjugate others. Because that's who we are. So whoever wants to be first in the kingdom must learn to be the servant. Just as the Son of Man himself, Jesus, did not come to be served as the king, but to serve and to give his life away. You remember. Now, after some time, Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. Now, this is after Jesus gives this, this lesson. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but he stops by a Samaritan town. And they no doubt have heard about him because the news of him had spread around. And so at first, they're kind of excited that Jesus has come to town. But when they learn that he's not going to stay in their town, but he's on his way to Jerusalem, they say, well, get out of our town. We don't want you here. If you're going to go to Jerusalem, then get out of here. We don't want you here either. That's what they said to him. So James and John, the two that their mother would ask if he could sit beside Jesus, one on the right and one on the left, they came up to Jesus and Jesus, guess, hey, we don't like how they're treating you. How about if we call fire down from heaven and just destroy this place? Remember that story? See, that's what we do. Let's just call down fire from heaven and just destroy these people. That's what we do. That's who we are, unless we have learned to be the servant. Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 9, you do not recognize the spirit out of which you speak. And what he's saying is, you're reflecting a demonic spirit and not the spirit in the heart of God, nor my heart. Because his first allegiance was not to subjugate that people of, uh, of that particular Samaritan town. He was there to serve. That's, that was his objective, to serve and to bless and to speak words of peace and words of light and of life. And when he was talking to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he asked, well, do you believe that yourself? Are you seeing that yourself? Does somebody else tell you that? And he said, I am a king. But he said, but my kingdom is not of this world. See, see you and I, as, as the people of God, you and I, as citizens of, of, of this earth, we have a higher citizenship. We have a higher calling. I want to be a good citizen. I intend to be a good citizen. I intend to bless my community. I intend to bless my neighbors. I intend to bless my neighborhood. But my calling, my vocation, my values come from a higher source. The kingdom of God. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Now, he wasn't talking about Peter and James and John. I don't think he was. He said, don't you know that if I wanted, I could just call to my father and he would send the legion of angels and they would destroy the world and set me free. He wasn't talking about you and me. He was talking about the principalities, the, 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 uh, the armies of the heavenly hosts. Don't you know that if I want, I could just call to my father. If I wanted to destroy the place, it wouldn't take long, in other words. But that's not what he came to do. He did not come to use power as you and I exercise power. He came to give his life away. 
That's what he came to do. Now, we're familiar with the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans because it's full of biblical history. The Hebrews engaged these people throughout their life and their history. And all, that, all those people groups, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans, all of them practiced ethnic cleansing. They would take whole populations and move them to another place. Take, lift them up from, not lift, not lift physically, but, but move them from their homes and their towns and their communities and take them hundreds of miles away to another place. They subjected millions and millions and millions of human beings. Now try to put some kind of figure, some kind of image in your mind. Millions of human beings into slavery. Very harsh slavery. The Aztecs and the, uh, the Incas. You can just Google this stuff. The Aztecs and the Incas in South America killed in one day 10,000 slaves in acts of worship to their gods. It's hundreds of thousands of slaves that were executed by the Incas and, and the Aztecs in their acts of worship. The invasion of Western Europe by Arab Muslims called the Moors invaded Western Europe to overtake it and to make Islam the dominant power in Europe. And then the counter, the counter uh, attacks by the Crusaders who came to drive the Arab Muslims back. Now think about it. Now that, this, this back and forth between, between North Africa and, and Western Europe took place over a 700-year period. Imagine if you lived in a village, in a town, in route of these thousands of men coming through your territory, and they need food, they need sustenance, they need shelter. Your stuff is theirs. Imagine you're, a, you're one of, they need a slave to carry some of their stuff. They just take you. Imagine your, your home, your family, being in the route in which some of these armies, attacking armies, counterattacking armies, are going to travel for a 700-year period. Imagine what their lives were like. And when one of the armies, whether it was the Arabs or whether it was the Crusaders, would come into a town of, town of, which, of their objective, they would slaughter thousands of people. Thousands of people. They would, they would uh, like for instance, when the Crusaders, when the, when the, when the Muslims came in uh, and took over Jerusalem, they slaughtered thousands of people to clean out the city. When the Crusaders came several years later, they, 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 uh, they, they laid siege to Jerusalem, took over the city, killed thousands of people. And not with uh, a grenade, with a spear or a sword. Imagine dying like that. I'm trying to help us get some perspective on the suffering of human beings in history. And maybe be a little bit more humble about our own disparity. Our own situation. In the Middle Ages, the European powers expelled Jews and Muslims, just depending on who happened to come into power. In the, in the first part of the 13th century, uh, the Black Death swept over Europe, killing millions of people. We have covid and it had probably killed a couple hundred thousand by now. I don't know. But in Europe, when the Black Plague came over Europe, it killed millions. It wiped out whole towns. I'm not in any way diminishing COVID. I'm trying not to get it. But I don't believe we've lost any towns yet. I'm not, I'm not diminishing one soul. I'm just saying, when we look at it in perspective of history, Asia and Europe lost millions of people and whole towns. When the Europeans sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and landed on the shores of, of the new America, 
the new continent, the new world. Thousands and thousands and thousands, probably millions of Native Americans perished. Not maybe so much because of swords and spears and muskets, but because they brought European viruses and plagues into the new world, which the native people had no immunity to. Whole tribes wiped out. Of course, there's the Holocaust. Three million Jewish people slaughtered in gas chambers, in work camps, death camps, in just one nation, in Europe, in Germany. And then you have, you have the work camps and the education camps in China, the, the, the work camps and the, the gulags in, in the old Soviet Union, the communist Soviet Union. I mean, I think it's somewhere between 60 million human beings perished just in the 50s, in the 1950s, 60s, and early 70s. I'm not talking about in ancient history. And then there's the, the Bosnian ethnic cleansing. That was in our lifetime. I remember seeing that on the news. Then there's the Rwanda massacre where they would, kill, they would gather up people, particularly Christians, in their homes, in their churches, and just slaughter them. Put them inside of churches and set the church on fire and not let them come out. I'm trying to give you some perspective so that you do not despair. Then there's the killing fields of Cambodia, which our last missionary made reference to. There is the, the ISIS, the Islamic State, which we heard about so much on the news. And now, even today, you probably can open the news today and you will find some master of some village or some group of boys or some group of girls or some pastor, some church in Nigeria. Today. I read, I read it's either Friday or yesterday. I'm almost done with this part. That archaeologists have, have uncovered a skeletal remains of about 30 people. And they date these skeletal remains about 10,000 years old. And they said that obviously it's a group of about 30 skeletal remains that have died a very traumatic death. They had blunt force trauma to their faces and to their skulls. And they said, no doubt, it was, I'm talking about what scientists say is 10,000 years old. Well, if it's 5,000 years old, if it's 6,000 years old. At the earliest of human history, we have not handled power very well. One group dominates another group. Uh, that's bad enough. If it weren't for that, if it weren't for that, so many people have just had to try to eke out an existence because of the sheer poverty that existed throughout the world. You think about the, surfed, the serfdom of Europe spread all the way from, from Western Europe all the way over into Eurasia, you know, uh, uh, China and Russia. You had large landlords and they just, people just eked out an existence as they tried to farm other people's land. It's just a cursory overview of the inhumanity of humanity one to the other. And it goes back to the earliest recorded biblical history. And the very first children of the very first pair, the very first couple, when Cain killed Abel. This being the case, and it is the case, 
This is the case, and we need to face it. We are among the human race, and this has been our history. What are the people of God to do in these, if this is who we are, this is how we act, if this is what we do, and I just gave you just a thumbnail sketch of the barbarism of, of humanity. What are the people of God to do? Even James and John, disciples of Jesus, said, can we call down fire from heaven and just destroy these people? This is how we act. This is who we are. We, we need to face that and get a grip on it. It might change how we live life. The price of living on the planet as a human being is very high. The price of living as a human being on the planet is very high. Now, you and I have been blessed. The price that you and I have had to pay has not been that great compared to what so many others have had to pay. But wherever you are, whatever the case may be, the, the price of living here is costly. And many, many cower at the cost. And because they can't deal with the cost of living as a human being on a cursed planet, they, they turn themselves over to numbness. They close the blind eye. Or they, they drink themselves to oblivion. And they use alcohol to numb the pain. Or they go to drugs and they numb the pain of existence. Or some other distraction, whatever the case might be. But you have to have meaning and you have to have purpose in order to live in this world with the darkness that's all around us. You have to have meaning and purpose in the midst of the disparity, in the midst of the despair, and the midst of adversity. And you will face it. I will face it. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm trying to give you a good word. We'll get to that. But I'm trying to paint a, a reality that actually exists and not whitewash it. If you do not have meaning and purpose, if you do not have meaning and purpose and a sure foundation, this is what's going to happen to you more than likely. You're going to become vindictive. This is what they did to me. I'm going to pay them back. I am so angry. And you live seething in anger because life has been hard. It has not been fair. It has not been just. You find yourself on the short end of the stick too many times. I'm just really just ticked off about it. Or you'll find yourself destructive. You'll be self-destructive or you'll destroy other people's lives as you have power to do so. And you'll certainly become bitter. Bitter about life. The joy of life will not be yours. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This is the real world in which you and I live in. It is a sins-cursed world. The curse is in effect. It touches your life and it touches my life and it tries to press us into its way of being. Well, Jesus told us what to do. Jesus told us what to do. He didn't hide this from us. He told his disciples who then in turn told us, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to be called to give an answer for yourself. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to be beheaded. Some of you are going to be beaten. And you have an adversary who is much greater than you. Demonic powers work against you. But this is what you got to do. If you want to follow me, 
If you want to have real meaning and purpose, then take up your cross and follow me. That's what it is. That's the deal. I would like to tell you, if you just follow Jesus, you will have from now on rainbows and lollipops. But I would be a false prophet. I would be a false teacher. In this world, Jesus told us plainly, you're going to have difficulty. But in facing the difficulty, take up your cross, and a cross is a rugged instrument. We think about it. The old rugged cross. It's not a smooth, it's not shiny, it's not polished, it's rugged. It's a rugged cross. And crosses are heavy, and they're hard to bear. That's why they're called a cross. Take up the difficulty of life. Now, you, are you ready? You've got to square your shoulders. Take up the difficulty of life and bear it. Well, that's not very inspiring. Well, it will be if you do it on purpose. It will be if you face the difficulty of life and realize you have to get up under and shoulder it. That's what you have to do. You can run away from the difficulty. You can cower away and hide in the shadow, but that doesn't help and that doesn't bless and that just destroys. But what you can do is say, life is difficult, so I'm going to get up from under it, I'm going to bear my cross, and I'm going to walk boldly into the world bearing my cross. But here's the deal. Now, that, that would be helpful enough if you just understood that, you bore the burden of life, you bore it with confidence, and you bore it with meaning and purpose. But that's not all. You don't have to bear it alone. You don't have to bear it alone. You see, you and I have brought into the world our own brokenness. What are you going to do about that? Who have you cursed out? Who have you done wrong? Who have you sinned against? It's still there. What are you going to do about it? Well, this is the good news. God has offered forgiveness for those things. And He will roll that burden off of you. And not only that, not only will He forgive you of the brokenness and the domination and the coercion that you yourself have brought on the planet and brought in your family and brought in your community and brought into your job, He will forgive you of those things. Wipe them out. Cast them into the sea of forgetfulness as Jesus talked about. Not only that, he will come to you Himself. And He will give you the gift of His Holy Spirit. And rather than using power in a coercive way, He will transform you and give you a new heart and a new mind. And you will be empowered, but you will be empowered to serve. That's what He'll do. Remember, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to learn to be a servant. So what He will do, He'll fill you with Himself and just like Himself, he, you will bear up under the burden of life and you will carry your cross serving your brothers and sisters, your community, your church, your job, your boss, and you'll give your life away. if the Spirit of Jesus lives in you. And just as Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven. It will be an empowerment, it will be power, but an empowerment to live a Christ-like kind of life, which will set you free from self-centeredness and lording power and authority. And this is a big one. 
It will free you from holding others in contempt. And that's a big one. Because a subtle one. Because you see, people can offend you. In fact, is it impossible, Jesus said, that you will not be offended? People are going to offend you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. And what happens, what we do, in a very passive-aggressive kind of way, then we hold them into contempt. And then what that does, it puts us in a very dangerous position. Because you only hold people in contempt, people whom you are judging. See where that, see where that puts you? That puts you in the position that only God belongs. And that's a dangerous place to be. Paul says, owe, owe no man anything but to love them. And when you hold them in contempt because they did you wrong, and they probably really did do you wrong, but you have to let it go. Because who have you wronged? Who have you disappointed? Who have you hurt? So what right then, then do you have to hold others in what you yourself don't want to be held by? If nothing else, you have offended God, the ultimate judge. So he will give you the freedom to be free of holding others into contempt. We're free you from those kinds of attitudes. I'm, I'm toward the end. And if you accept this, that you recognize that we live in a sin-cursed world and that wrong is everywhere. And although, as we sang in the Christmas, although the wrong seems all so strong, God is still the ruler yet. If you will accept that, if you will embrace that, you will take up your cross, He will lead you to live a different kind of life. Just as He is the Lord of life and of life and of light. Life, light, and life. He will empower you no matter what's going on around you. Whether the Democrats are in power or whether the Republicans are in power. That doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. I'm saying ultimately, yes, each one of them will bring a consequence. They're failed human beings. They're flawed human beings. I don't care what stripe they are. They are flawed creatures. But you can still live a life of light, life, and love under the kingship of Jesus. Bearing your cross out into the world. It doesn't matter who's in power, whether Caesar's in power, or whether uh, Mahatma Gandhi's in power, or Desmond Tutu's in power, well, as a servant. Or you just name whatever figure you want. You can still live a life of light and of light and of love. Not a power to lord over others. Nor to dominate them. Nor to subjugate them nor to hold them into contempt, but to serve. But to serve. And then, you know, I, uh, see, I always enjoyed it when my dad would close his Bible. <laughs> I sat and listened to him preach a lot, a lot of times, and when he closed his Bible, I took heart. Because I knew when he closed the Bible, he was getting close to being done. <laughs> you know, I stood right by his bedside. I mean, I was from here to that Bible. For a few minutes, 
And I watched him breathe, literally, breathe his last breath. And um, as he gave up his spirit to the Lord who gave it, as, a, as confident as a human being can be, I was pretty sure, as confident as a human can be, that when my dad crossed the Jordan and entered the other side, at some point he would hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful king. Not well done, good and faithful master. Not well done, the sharpest pencil in the box. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. Not a cup of cold water that you have given will lose its significance. So Lord, you've made a beautiful world. But because of our disobedience, sin has entered into it. And the entire thing has entered into a fallen state. And we ourselves are touched by it. And if we're not careful, if we're not listening, if we're not obedient to the word, both the living word and the written word, we will live out that curse in our lives and it will be very destructive, both in our own life and the lives of those whom we say we love. So may we accept the commission and the calling of heaven to learn to be servants. If you want to be great in the kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And then there is no one to hold in contempt. There is no one to dominate because all we're doing is serving. Let it be so. By the power of your spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.